Okay, uh, before we get into the sermon tonight, I want to uh, mention something that we get to do in uh, March of next year. Uh, we, I would like to say is a tradition of ours because we, it was a tradition of ours, but we have not been able to do it for three years. And we finally get to do it again. And that is our more student leadership conference. Yeah. I know. Some of you are like, great, that's awesome. Some of you are like, I don't know what I'm cheering for. Uh, so I'm here to let you know our more student leadership conference is uh, a weekend conference that we have on campus here um, for youth groups and their student leaders. So uh, were any of you here? Did you peek your heads in during the youth emphasis service on Friday night a couple of weeks ago? Okay, so it's, it's kind of like that, but for a whole weekend long. Uh, and it's not just a night of excitement uh, and hype. Um, there is chapel service that we have in here, sessions that we have in here. Uh, we have some breakout sessions in the academic building. Uh, but the whole point of it is a student leadership conference. So we invite youth pastors to bring their youth leadership teams, their young adults, their senior high student leaders um, to come on campus for a weekend. We feed them, we serve them, we bless them, we love them, we equip them. And we also show hospitality to them because we house them as well. Yeah, and so um, what we have done in the past is we have had these students in our rooms. We invite them to stay with us on campus. We eat meals with them. We invite them into our rooms and to stay with us. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to give you the opportunity. I know I talked about hospitality a couple weeks ago. And for those of you who are in RELCON, uh, we talked about hospitality again last week. Uh, here's a great way that we can show hospitality in our home here in March next year. Uh, and so we have already collected. I don't know how many are already showing up. There's two like full youth groups that are already signed up for it uh, with their student leaders, which is awesome. Uh, and these youth groups come from all over. One of them already signed up is West Kelowna. West Kelowna, Emmanuel. Um, and uh, local here, but they come as far as Prince George, uh, Dawson Creek. Uh, we've had here, we've had people um, fly out from other provinces as well for the weekend too, which is awesome. So it's, it's, um, one of our most exciting weekends of the year, I believe. The campus is so busy, it's full, almost to the point where it's a bit stressful, uh, but it's awesome as it's just a retreat weekend. Yeah, a retreat weekend, stressful, good. You know what I mean. Uh, who here has been to a more conference? Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. Uh, who went as a student? Did anybody go as a student? Come on. Oh, as a, like a, a pre-summit student. Ah, okay, right on, Awesome. Okay, you guys got to lead the charge of setting the tone and the culture and the vibe for it uh, this year, okay? So we'll talk more about um, what it means to host, what it means to have students into our rooms, if you'd like to do that, and uh, what the weekend will look like as we progress through the beginning of next semester. Sound good? Okay, great. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into the Word of God uh, to finish off our series of living sacrifices this evening. Well, Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, we do. We thank you for your goodness. Jesus, we thank you for your love in our lives, for the sacrifice that you have paid for us. What a blessing it is to live out this salvation tangibly by giving to those who are in need. So thank you for Mariah and Sarah and the team and the vision that they have. Uh, would you bless that offering and those children? Uh, and we ask Holy Spirit this evening, as we look into this word again, into Romans chapter 12, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to receive from you tonight? God, I truly pray for a fresh revelation of your love. 
a fresh revelation of your grace and your mercy. And may tonight, may we not just emotionally feel lifted, but spiritually, Jesus, may there be a sense of hope in this room as we open up your word and as we exit later on this evening. We love you. In your name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Okay, dear brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we opened up a couple of weeks ago. Jay spoke on verses one and two and dipped into verse three. And Paul says, he says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way you worship him. It's wonderful to worship in song, isn't it? Isn't it fun? Isn't it great? But there's more to it than that. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Because of all that he has done for you, is what Paul says. And we began our semester talking about the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ and what that means and how he gives us new meaning and new identity. All that he's done for us, that Jesus, who is our ultimate sacrifice, who satisfied the wrath of God, paying the due penalty of our sins, his shed blood for the penalty that we were to pay, justified us, redeems us and reconciles us to the Father. And through confession and faith in the resurrection of Jesus, we have new identity and new meaning and new titles and new life, and we are a new creation. Amen? Because of all that he has done for you, we are to offer our bodies, our whole selves, everything about us, all of it as a living sacrifice. This is what he finds acceptable. This is what it is to truly worship him, is to offer our entire selves. The customs, the values, the behaviors, and the ways of the world, we are not to follow. To be in stark contrast, really, of the customs of our world, the values of our world. We're not to copy them, even if they seem nice even if they seem fitting, that we are not to copy the behaviors of the world, but let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. So we're wrapping up not only this series this evening, we're wrapping up our Wednesday nights uh, specific celebration services this evening. We got a couple more Monday chapel services to finish off the semester. Uh, But here we go. We're going to finish off chapter 12 and have a great time together. So would you stand with me? Chapter 12, verses 17 to 21 says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. You may take a seat.
Uh, anybody ever like stub your toe on the corner of your like bedpost before? <laughs> I didn't even finish the question. Kim is like, yep, amen, I've done it. Uh, anybody like stub their finger like trying to catch a basketball? Like there's the basketball crew, you know what I'm talking about? Like, ouch, like that hurts, right? And then like, you know, if you stub your toe or if you stub your finger, it's like you bump it all the time. You feel it every time you step, like with your shoe. When you put like your hand in your pocket, it's like... Like you just, you always feel it, right? You notice it that much more if you stub your toe or if you stub your finger. Uh, For those of you who have cars, um, when you purchased your car, for those of you who have cars, when you got your car, did you all of a sudden notice that make and model around town a lot more? You know what I'm talking about? People are like, whoa, you too? Really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's a normal thing. It happens. All of a sudden you have this car and it's like, wow, hey, I noticed, oh, there's my car. Wow, there's my car. And before you never, ever thought of it or noticed it. So I got to tell you something. In um, tonight's message, like that has taken place for me in the last couple of weeks, not in toes or fingers or in cars, uh, but in the subject of tonight's message, for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, I have been like hypersensitive and hyper aware on this theme. And it has been weird, <laughs> like overly weird, like to the, to the extreme. I've had like a few conversations with Kim, even Alex and I, uh, while we were dishing our plates for dinner tonight, we're like, yeah, it's been a, a conversation, a topic, a focus, a lot recently. Uh, and so uh, here we are. I think maybe we should talk about it. If it's coming up quite often, um, I think it's something that we need to discuss. It's been conversations I've had at home uh, with my wife and with my boys. It's been conversation that I've had um, in my office with students when we've been going through mentoring uh, and some like good conversations uh, and some difficult conversations. It's been coming up in student life meetings and student leadership meetings some light, some really heavy. And can I be fully transparent and fully honest with you? I don't actually really want to preach it. I was saying to a few people, I don't actually want to go through this tonight together. Uh, And there's a few reasons why I don't want to go through it with you. And let me explain. I don't want to go through it with you because I have been in situations where I've had a conversation with a pastor and they weren't really totally upfront and honest with me. But then when they were on stage, they would talk about it. And I was like, wait a second, are they talking about me? And I don't want that to be the case for anybody because that's not true. But I'm concerned because it's been coming up in conversations lately that there may be someone who would think, whoa, this was a conversation that we were having. Why is he talking about it in front of everybody? That's not the case but I've been thinking that. I've been thinking too, like the topic that we're going to talk about is somewhat of a sensitive topic. And there's lots of layers to it. And there's a depth to it that we're going to work our way through a little bit tonight. But I prefer to talk about this conversation like together in a conversation, but this is a one-way conversation right now, which isn't my favorite way to talk about this subject. And so I'm worried that someone may think, well, he doesn't know how I really feel. Or I'm worried, you know, 
why would he say that? I don't actually agree with what he's saying. That's a, that's a blanket statement. He doesn't know that there's depth to that. And my emotions and my natural disposition, which isn't a healthy one, I'm, I'm prefacing that, is if someone doesn't like what I have to say or someone doesn't like something about me, I, my natural disposition is I just don't think they like me. And so for the last couple of weeks, I'm like, I don't really want to preach this because I just don't think they're going to like me afterwards. And I felt convicted, like heavy, heavy to talk about this subject. Um, I am both convicted by the Spirit uh, and committed to Kim <laughs> because we've said we were going to work through this passage together. And both on the level of the fear of the Lord and on I don't want Kim to razz me if I were to duck out and not speak about it is like even on par, okay, of making sure that I'm committed to actually going through this text. Because I have thought I could easily get away with just doing like a recap of the semester and then like a send-off for the, for the end of the semester. And I think people would be like, all right, awesome. And I'm also thinking like it's exam season coming up and it's the end of semester and people are stressed. They're not going to remember what I have to say anyway. So what's the point of it? These are the thoughts that have been wrestling through my head for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'm pretty convicted that I think we need to go through it today. So uh, what I'm going to ask is this. I'm going to ask, not that you would just lend me your ear, but I'm going to ask for your blessing this evening. Kim talked a bit about blessing last week. I'm going to ask for your blessing. That for the next 25 to 30 minutes, we're going to work through a conversation that there's certain layers that we're just not going to be able to hit on tonight that there's a depth to it that we're just not going to be able to reach from this context from a person speaking through a microphone. Like, I believe the Lord can reach that depth in a time of prayer. I think we can get further into it in a conversation. But I need your blessing tonight because we're going to talk about a sensitive subject. We're going to talk about how we give our whole bodies, our whole selves, to the biblical teaching of forgiveness this evening a topic that is crucial in our Christian faith, but a topic that is not desired to be (laughs) one to be open about because we all struggle with forgiveness. A topic that our culture not just struggles with it, but has absolutely no desire to participate in it whatsoever. And we're going to go through this passage and there's some do nots that Paul talks about. And we're going to kind of use that as our points to go through this evening Um, and not just talk about what not to do, but what we should do. You with me? You good? Okay, great. Do not repay is what he says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Paul's instructing the early believers not to pay like the world pays. We are not to pay back like the world pays back. To not respond of the way of the world, to not copy their behaviors, to not copy their customs, that we are not to respond, we are not to pay like the world pays. One of uh, my favorite authors, he says, society today is marked by selling and buying, not giving and receiving. Isn't that so true? That our society today is about selling and buying, not giving and receiving. The focus is about selling, about paying, about gaining, so much so. It's actually incredible. 
We live in a society that, that wants to pay or receive pay for everything. I have to say this, with your generation, uh, you're incredibly gifted at um, like coming up with things to make money. Like you're incredibly gifted at it. You're able to take something that I would have never thought about making any type of money from it and you're able to make money from it. And a, a simple um, hobby can turn into something where all of a sudden now it's a hobby plus an income. And society at large operates and works this way where we can pretty much monetize almost anything now. And so our society lives and is marked by selling and buying and not giving and receiving. And that also means in the area of when someone has done wrong, we think they need to pay for it. They need to pay back the wrongdoing that they have committed. And there's a biblical precedence of truth to that, but our, our society and our culture has taken it to a very extreme. And it's the cancel culture, right? The cancel culture is that whatever sin or pain that was enforced or mistake or poor decision, that we're not going to cancel what they've done. We're going to cancel the person and make them pay for their grievous act that they participated in. And the world wants us to pay like they pay. But I believe cancel culture is in complete opposition of biblical forgiveness, like in stark contrast completely and utterly. Couldn't be any different. I believe the Christian response to being wronged is to do right. Rather than selling and buying, we should be marked by giving and receiving. Amen? Rather than repaying, we should be marked by forgiving. Biblical forgiveness is not to cancel the person. Biblical forgiveness is rather to cancel the debt that they owe, that they don't have to pay back. We get rid of the payment and we give them forgiveness. Now, those are some blanket statements, right? That's going to cause a bit of, oh, I don't know if I like this. This makes me feel uncomfortable. And so, to understand what forgiveness is, I think we need to also talk about what forgiveness is not, okay? So first off, forgiveness is not forbearance. And what forbearance is, is that, is the like, oh, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I'm just going to brush it off. Often, usually minor things, right? Like, forbearance is like an annoying habit that maybe your roommate has and you just kind of let it go. Like maybe they chew too loud at the dinner table, but you just let it go. Like the letting it go is the forbearance side of things. Maybe it's somebody that you like wave to, but they didn't see you and they didn't wave back. And you're like, oh, wow, did they not like me? Oh, I just got to let that go. That's forbearance, okay? I think all of us could use forbearance, like especially at this time of the semester, end of the semester, the stress of assignments, exams coming up, we could all use forbearance, practice forbearance, participate in forbearance. It's good. Forgiveness is not forbearance. Forbearance may be in forgiveness, but it's not one and the same thing. Does that make sense to you? Forgiveness is not forgetting either. Let's not get this confused, okay? Like God forgives us 
And God justifies us. But he doesn't forget what we do. He doesn't forget our sin. Like I know there's the passage in Isaiah that talks about where he blots out our transgressions and remembers our sin no more. That's metaphorical language. And what that metaphor means is that God won't hold our sin against us, is what that means. He doesn't hold it against us. He cleanses us. He justifies us. He redeems us. He's God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He remembers, but he doesn't hold it against us. And forgiving is not forgetting what someone has done. Forgiveness is not holding on to it and using it as a weapon back to them. So it's not just forgetting. Uh, forgiveness is also not the opposite of seeking of justice. Like they're, they can be one and the same. They actually can be a very profound and wonderful team forgiveness, and justice. And I think when they work together, man, they work together really well. It's actually awesome. Like forgiveness and revenge can never be a team, but forgiveness and justice can work very well together. They're appropriate, and they're especially appropriate to respond to a deep, deep wounded situation. Absolutely appropriate to it. Justice is appropriate for the correction of the person who's done the wrong and the protection of the person who's been wounded, right? Can I say that again? Justice is appropriate for the correction of the person who's done wrong and the protection of the person who's been wounded. They work together, forgiveness and justice. Like, it doesn't mean that we excuse and just remove consequences of poor, especially on the deep and grievous decisions that have been made. It doesn't mean that we just remove it, all consequences, especially not legal ones. Absolutely not legal ones. If there's been abuse, whether it's been physical or generational or spiritual or sexual, there is abuse and the trauma to it. We don't just excuse it. It doesn't mean that all relationships are going to be restored back to its like traditional sense of what it was. But it does mean that we can still live at peace as far as it depends on us. So forgiveness and justice can actually hang out together and they can do a really awesome job. Forgiveness is uh, not forbearance. It's not forgetting. It's not the opposite of justice. But forgiveness also is not free. Like it's not free at all. <laughs> Forgiveness costs us deeply. Timothy Keller, uh, he's an author, pastor in New York. He says, forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. We choose to lay down our right and have, uh, excuse me, we choose to lay down our right to have our offender owe us. And we make the choice to bear the cost. It's a sacrifice. Oh, it's a sacrifice that costs us. Uh, and then Keller, he goes on to say, I, I want to talk a bit about what forgiveness is. Uh, and I love Keller's um, uh, description of it. He says there's really like two aspects to it. There's different stages that we get through in forgiveness, okay? And we don't have a 
We don't have the ability to go through all those stages this evening. That's why I wish we could have a conversation, not just me speaking. But Keller talks specifically about the aspects of forgiveness. He says the two aspects of forgiveness. The first must always happen and the second may happen, but it's not always possible. And that's where that scripture comes in, where we live peaceably with one another as much as it depends on us. It's not always possible. It's not always perfect to do so. The first one, I don't love the language of it, but he says attitudinal forgiveness, but it's that inward healing, that inward healing that takes place where I can forgive a person. He uses the language attitudinal behavior, or sorry, attitudinal forgiveness, but it's that inward healing. And then there's reconciliation of the friendship. Reconciliation cannot happen unless that internal healing first takes place. It cannot happen unless there's true healing internally that takes place. And so it is possible in that inward forgiveness to then see reconciliation and restoration take place, but it's not always possible to restore it to its fullness of what it was. But I love what he says here. Yet anyone who truly forgives from their heart will be open and willing for the chance of a level of reconciliation. He says, not to return evil for evil, not to pay back as the world pays back. Interesting in this passage where he says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I found that interesting just in the language that we used for our original series, right in God's sight. In God's sight, we are right. In the world, we're not, right? We're not. So we actually have to act in a way that they would say, wow, look at their ethic. Look at their character. Look at their integrity. And it's not the moral code of the society. It's the moral code that we see in scripture that we live by. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you to live at peace with everyone. Now, I will say this um, for those who have really difficult situations, relationships, Uh, Family dynamics, I've had conversations with students this last week about it, okay? Um, And I've shared a bit of my story too, because I have that as part of my past and my history as well. Um, Living at peace, uh, sometimes distance is the best thing (laughs) for relationships. Uh, To live at peace with one another, man, sometimes distance is the greatest asset to that relationship. And so please hear what I am saying, okay? It's not about forbearance or forgetting or just kind of letting it all go and doesn't care about justice or correction. It's not that. There is a cost to it. It's not free. But there's also a journey that we can take and healthy boundaries to put into place um, for good inward healing and reconciliation to friendships. You with me? You with me? Okay, great. Do not repay. He also says, do not Take revenge. Do not take my, or take revenge, my dear friends. In the ESV, it says beloved, and I like that. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then he quotes a proverb. Like these are his friends. Paul's talking about his friends, his beloved friends. And there are times with our friends when they're mad and they want to repay or they want to get revenge, 
we can often stand in their corner and say, yeah, you should do it. You earn this and you need to get revenge back to them. And here's Paul saying, wait a second. That's not for us to do. That is not for you to do. You're not the one to get the revenge. That's God's job. That is God's work. He says, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. You know, there's this wild story uh, that we're going to, I want to quickly go through here because I think it's just crazy. It's hilarious in some regards too. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't have it up on the screen. So either if you want to follow along with me, open up your Bibles or open up your Bible app on your phone. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. And we're going to talk about uh, the story of this guy named Elisha and the king of Israel, uh, King Jehoram. Jehoram, Jehoram, either one of those is going to work, okay? Are you there? No? Okay, I'll take a drink of my water and then we'll go for it, okay? 2 Kings 6, verse 8, come on. (laughs) Okay, it says this, let's follow along. Uh, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. Okay, I love that first off. Like such and such a place? And it's in quotations. My camp will be in such and such a place. So did he actually quote that and say that? Like, I just think it's hilarious. Let's move on. Maybe it's just Kim and I. Uh, And the man of God, which is Elisha, uh, and the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God told him. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Verse 11, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So to follow along with what's taking place, the king of Syria wants to attack the Israelites, right? Wants to take out the king and his army. And so he um, finds out where they're going to go and he's going to camp there and they're going to attack them. But what happens is the Lord is giving these prophetic things to Elisha, these dreams or visions or words or whatever. And Elisha says, king, don't go to this place because they're going to attack you. And so they don't go. But the king of Syria thinks, wait a second, who in my camp is this mole? Who in my camp is this rat telling them that this is where we're going to pounce on them? What is going on? That's the scene. You still with me? Verse 12, and one of the servants said, none, my Lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom, in your privacy. So he said, go and see where he is, where Elisha is, that I may send and get him. And it was told them, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Love that. And Elisha prayed, and, the, and said, Lord, I pray, uh, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Amazing that 
Man, Elisha's prayers. I love it. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Isn't it amazing his prayers and how the Lord answers his prayers like that? I wish the Lord would answer my prayers like that. And there's another prayer that Elisha once prayed over some kids who made fun of his baldness. And there's been people here who have made fun of my baldness. And I'm just saying it's a good thing the Lord doesn't answer my prayers like he answers Elisha's prayers. Might just have a bear come after you. Okay, where are we at? Verse 18, is that where we're at? Verse 18, so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike these, oh, I already did that. Sorry, we're on verse 19, you were wrong. Uh, Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. Elisha low-key lied. Amazing. This is not where you want to go, which it was. I'll bring you to the man who you want, which was him. And so he low-key lied to them uh, and said, uh, where are we at? I've lost my spot. 20, thank you. So it is, so it was. When he had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And there the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. This is where the king was. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Asks him twice over. Shall I kill them? This is an army that came to kill Elisha. Previously, an army that wanted to attack and kill the king of Israel. These were enemies of the Israelite nation. And verse 22. Elisha answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword or bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. What a wild story. Rather than taking out the enemy that was constantly attacking or wanting to attack and wanting to kill them, rather than paying revenge, they gave food and water and they blessed their enemies. And in return, they went back home to their master and didn't again attack. Broke that cycle of war broke that cycle of attack through the hospitality of food and drink and forgiveness. Now, it's fair to say that I don't think any of us have any kings or warriors coming after us, (laughs) okay? I think it's fair to say that you're all pretty nice people, and I wouldn't state that you have loads of enemies that are coming after you to attack you, Um, but I think we could all say that we have been attacked before. We have been hurt before. We have been mistreated before. We have been misspoken to before. It is felt maybe like others have attacked you. Maybe it has been gossip that somebody has talked about you. Maybe it's been something they've said to you or something they've said to somebody else about you. We've all been judged. We've all been treated poorly. 
You may not experience to the degree of evil here where there is war brewing on the horizon, but what about the evil that exists in our community of just people being short-tempered, short with their words, maybe a bit crass and rude? What about the depth of some of the injuries and wounds and trauma that we do have from relationships that have experienced abuse? What do we do with that? Rich Velotis, he says, as people of Jesus, the options before us are not to extend, sorry, the options before us are to not extend forgiveness or withhold it. I did not read that right. The options before us are not to extend forgiveness or withhold it. I think it's to extend forgiveness or withhold it. Uh, nope, you, you got it. Thank you. I'm there. I'm back now. We're back in it. As people of Jesus, the options before us are not to extend forgiveness or withhold it. The only option is to figure out how to extend it in ways that honor our dignity, attend to the wounds, and reflect the gracious God revealed in Jesus. Do not repay. Do not revenge. And then he also says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our greatest, our greatest example, of course, is the example of Jesus. Our greatest example and greatest teacher of this is, of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He overcame the darkest of all evils with the purest of all that is good. He is our perfect and our primary example for not repaying as the world does, for not taking revenge as the world does, and not being overcome with evil. Rather, he reconciles and he redeems through love and forgiveness. Jesus also gives some real practical teachings on how to forgive, some real practical teachings on how to love our enemies and not to respond with evil, but to do good. So I'm going to get you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. I don't have it on the screen, so open your Bibles. Open up your Bible app. Yeah. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27... it says this, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone, excuse me, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Verse 35, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And all God's children said, really God? Really You're kind to those who are unthankful and wicked? And we have to do what? If they slap us on one cheek, we got to give them the other? 
If they steal our stuff, we got to give them more? Is that what we're really supposed to do? To love our enemies? Jesus is not saying to put yourself in a place to be abused, okay? That's not what he's teaching here. He's not saying put yourself in harm's way so that people can take advantage of you. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that we are to not respond like the world. To not repay and react and take revenge like the world desires or would want us to. And ultimately what he is saying, if someone was to slap you on the face, this is the example that he's giving. What he's saying is by allowing them to slap your other one, not that, they, that he would want you to just let them do that. What he's saying is the slap on your face, the pain has no power over you, is what he's saying. So give them the other because there's no power over you. If they steal something from you, the pain, it has no power over you. So give them whatever else that you have. Don't ask for it back because that pain has no power over who you are in Christ Jesus. As the children of the most high, don't overcome with behaviors and customs of this world. He has given you what you need to overcome the pain that has been sent your way. So it's real practical. He says, pray for them. Like pray for those enemies, those people that have ticked you off, that have hurt you, that have done damage to you. There's layers to this, okay? I understand that. So pray for them. <clears throat> We're to bless. Kim talked about this last week. Bless, not curse. We're to give to those who ask and lend without expecting in return and to treat others how you would like to be treated. These are real practical teachings that Jesus has on loving your <clears throat> enemies. And this is how we can overcome evil by doing good. I'm going to invite uh, Leanna and the team to come on up and we're going we're gonna to land this, this plane. <clears throat> Theoretically, um, can we go to our title slide of living sacrifice? So we just have the words up there. Like, like theoretically, we have Christianized this so much that that sounds lovely, <laughs> right? Living sacrifices, it's beautiful. My goodness, Jesus is the ultimate living sacrifice. His love is amazing and it's transformed us and it's beautiful. But realistically, it is messy and ugly and difficult, full of pain. It means being stretched, and challenged, and uncomfortable. It means being engaged. It means not pretending to love, but genuinely loving. It means not hating. Excuse me. It means hating what is wrong and holding on to what is right. It means taking delight in honoring others. It means not being lazy, but working hard. It means being people of joy, people of patience, people of prayer, people of hospitality, people of blessings and harmony. It means being people who are humble and enjoying the company of ordinary people. It means not repaying with revenge, but forgiving with love is what it means to be a living sacrifice. Biblical forgiveness is the true revelation of God's love. Amen? Biblical forgiveness is the true revelation of God's love. So I want to finish with this. <clears throat> the topic of forgiveness 
often what happens when we discuss forgiveness, our mind goes to the people that we need to forgive. And that, that's good. We all have people in our lives, probably everyone here could list off a couple of names of people they need to forgive that maybe have hurt you or have done wrong to you and so you, you need to forgive. I have, I have that in my life. I've worked through lots in my life and continue to do so. Sometimes we talk about, okay, I need to go seek forgiveness too and that is also good because we are to be people who not only give forgiveness but receive forgiveness as well, to repent and confess and receive from forgiveness. <clears throat> because a sermon like this talking about forgiveness, like, it's not like that. Like, now we've talked about behavior. You got to forgive. You just go do it. But like, it has to be more than just that like behavior approach. There has to be the change internally in our heart and in the way that we think. And when we talk about enemies, like instantly we think about like, well, who are my enemies? And we don't like, that's a weird word to use in our culture today, enemies. But like we had a song and we sang about it. We read scripture that we see there's enemies to the Israelites. You know, we read, you can read through the Psalms and you hear David talking about his enemies that are coming after him. Jesus teaches about loving your enemies. And so often our minds, they go to who our enemies are. And often what happens is we neglect that sometimes we are the enemy. Actually, not sometimes. Actually, we began as the enemy. And the true revelation of God's love and the ability to forgive others who have hurt you actually begins in the realization that I was once an enemy of the Lord and he saved me and calls me friend. Forgiveness begins at the moment of recognizing and understanding that I'm the enemy, that I need forgiveness, that I have done wrong, that the wrath of God is upon me. Jesus in his sacrifice has forgiven and redeemed me and has made me a new creation. Now in turn, because of the work the Spirit is doing inside of me, I can begin the process and the journey of forgiving my enemies. In chapter 5 in the book of Romans, when we began our series, Kim used this passage and it says, And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. We've talked about all these titles on who we are in God's sight. You know where we began? As the enemy. Like we were the enemy. While we were still his enemies he will certainly we will certainly be saved through the life of his son so now we can we can rejoice in the wonderful news and the new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God isn't that amazing we're no longer enemies but we're friends we have been restored and redeemed forgiven and loved transformed and made new and so now we can do the same begin that process of forgiveness. I believe not just in the temperature of society. I believe in the local church. And I also believe for here, this is an area that we need to work on. And so I want to finish with this. We've, we've responded differently 
over the last couple of weeks, and it's been wonderful. And so I want to open it up to that um, variety of response, (laughs) because I think there's a variety of how this is being received tonight. Like some of you are like this. You hear this passage. You know, we were once enemies, but saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. Some of you are in that place. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm a friend and I want to rejoice because I have received forgiveness. Some of you are at the place where actually your best true act of worship in this moment would to find a relationship and bring reconciliation to it right now. Rather than coming up here and praying, rather than coming to the front and raising your hands, you might be at a place where you need to ask for forgiveness for somebody. You might need to be at a place where you need to sit and say, who do I need to give forgiveness to? What resentment or bitterness have I been holding on to that I need to actually have that inward healing that Keller talked about? So rather than rejoicing, maybe you need to find a place of reconciliation. And then there's another level, and I mean this full well, for those who have the layers, the depth of pain and wounds, I pray that you have a fresh revelation of the love of Jesus. Like a fresh revelation of what that sacrifice means. What that atoning sacrifice, paying for our penalties, going from an enemy to a friend, and what that truly means in your own life. I pray for a fresh revelation of his love. And so would you stand with me this evening? The band is going to lead us in the song that we finished off with, but I want to give you the freedom of how you need to respond. Do you respond by rejoicing? Well, then I encourage you to lift your hands. Maybe even come to the front and rejoice. Do you need to respond by reconciling? Maybe it's that inward healing you need or going to a person. Now is the greatest time to do so. Or maybe you need to lie down get on your knees and say, oh Lord, I need a fresh revelation. Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness in our lives. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that you counted the cost. I thank you that there is redemption through you and that you no longer call us enemies, but you call us friends. Jesus, we thank you. Spirit, I pray whatever you've been speaking to each person, Lord, I pray for the conviction of response in this moment, however it may look, whether it's rejoicing, whether it's reconciling, or that fresh revelation. Spirit, we want to meet with you. Let's respond together.